How's it going, Will? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. This is, uh, this is an exciting episode for me because in the past really like year, I've just gotten so into YouTube. I subscribe to like tons of channels. I watch it all the time. I use it as like a search engine. Um, it's been super, super valuable researching hardbound stories. And, and I've just been really fascinated with like, where did it come from? How did this marvelous thing like start to yeah. exist? And so Was that's, it? that's what we're going to talk about this week is YouTube. Yeah, I, I'm excited too because I've kind of um, I, I'm like a different kind of YouTube user. I'm more like I've I've, I've never really subscribed to anything, um, and I'm always interested when I encounter people who are like obsessive uh, members of the community. Um, what What do you think? What like what triggered you kind of diving in like that? Because it sounded like prior to within the last year or so, you were kind of like that too. I'm curious was it was it doing research for hardbound stories or or what was it? Um. No, actually, it was, uh, although that certainly helped a lot. I think the, the sort of original impetus for me was like, I somehow, I really don't even remember how, discovered Crash Course, which is okay. a YouTube channel that has like, essentially like, it's sort of like Khan Academy, but Crash Course is probably better than Khan Academy at um, like history and humanities kind of stuff. They also have some science stuff too, and that's really good. But it's like it's a little bit higher production value, I would say, than Khan Academy. Um, it's not just like a person talking and like drawing crude sketches and things, which like you know can be really good. But but Crash Course is definitely higher production values. Um, and I, and I think I just liked it so much. I was like, well, the, I should subscribe to this. You know, <laughs> like it was the first right, thing right, I ever right. thought. Like I want notifications. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what I mean. I think from there it's like I just like started seeing like what the other projects that the people who started it were doing and like they have other YouTube channels and Mm -hmm. you know there's other sort of similar YouTube channels that I kind of got into like Veritasium is one that I really like that just has like cool kind of science learning video type things. Um, Mm -hmm. I just found like I think this thing that I had been looking for which is um Something that's way more interesting to consume than, like, Wikipedia, but can teach you a lot about, like, basic things that theoretically you already know, but you don't really know, um, which is very yeah. similar to, the, to you know, Vision of Hardbound, like, the, the stories we release every week. Um, it's not necessarily the most, like, time-sensitive, news-oriented kind of stuff or, like, hot takes that you get, you know, all over the Internet. <laughs> um, it's a different yeah. kind of thing that's a little bit more um, evergreen, I guess, and just, like, that's going to be useful, interesting knowledge to, like, have as a part of your life that um, that, that will stay relevant and, and you can build upon for, for the rest of your life as opposed to, like, someone's opinion about a thing that happened this week, which kind of just comes and goes, <laughs> you know? Cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to, to learn on this episode because I don't know a ton about YouTube's history and kind of the things that made it successful early on. Um, so yeah, yeah, do you want to just kind of dive in and, and, uh, take it from the top? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, um, it seems like it wasn't that long ago, but it was a really long time ago in terms of technology. So it started basically the original idea was in, uh, January of 2005, this guy named Steve Chin had a dinner party with some of his friends, like coworkers. He had actually just recently left PayPal to join Facebook. Uh, one of the main YouTube co-founders it's kind of had like a three-month stint at Facebook, but then left to start YouTube. Uh, but he was like one of the first 20 employees of Facebook, which is pretty funny. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And um, so they took a bunch of photos and videos, and it was you know really easy to share the photos with each other. Uh, But the videos, it was a lot harder because uh, you couldn't email it because the file size was too big. Um, And so you had to upload it to some, like, crappy file hosting website, you know, like just, like, megaupload.com or some whatever 2005 equivalent of that kind of thing. And, and like, you know, even if you did do that, um, there's different people, you know, with different types of computers and different video cameras had different file types. And it just, it didn't always work. And it was, like kind of a crappy experience. And this is like, if you think about it, the history of sort of digital cameras, it it really wasn't until close to 2005 that there were these things that were like, could fit in your pocket and take 
videos and photos. Um, right. The little, like, point and shoot, like, you know, like, I, I just, like, have a memory of, like, my mom having one from when I'm in high school that, like, she would always take photos right. on. And at some point, you know, closer to 2009 or 2010, like, I think pretty much most people switched to, like, smartphones. Um, or flip cameras. You remember right. flip cameras? Flip yeah. cameras, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but this is, like, this is in the pre-smartphone era. Um, and there, mm-hmm. there were some smartphones that could take some photos and videos of very crappy quality. But, you know, there right. were, like, devices you could buy for 200 bucks that would, like, easily fit in a pocket. Or, like, mm-hmm. it's not like... I was looking into the history of digital video cameras just to think. I was like, like, when, when was that even... And, and, like, I remember there's this... I saw this YouTube video. It's so meta that it's, like, a YouTube video. Of course, there's a YouTube video <laughs> of this guy demoing a video camera, like a Sony Handycam from 2000, which, remember, they had that tape, and it was, like, a little... It was almost like it looked like a mini VHS tape that would, like, yes. go in on the side. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally remember those. But you could, like, export that as a digital thing somehow. I'm not really right. sure exactly how it all worked, but... um. That, those were some of the first digital video cameras. And then there was, like, the p- more pure digital ones that, like, recorded straight to, like, an SD drive or whatever. That was, like, the little ch- chip that you plug into the side of it. But, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to think about how far video cameras have come. I was very nostalgic for when I saw that because I think my uncle had that exact camera and probably, like, <laughs> I spent a lot of time playing with it when I was, like, well, however old I was in the year 2000, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely something to be said for using a camera that has like you have to use a strap that goes around your hand to use it. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're encouraged to have the the strap around your neck too just in case you uh, right. didn't drop it. But yeah, anyway, so it was funny cuz it was it was sort of a trip down memory lane like early YouTube stuff cuz um you know, a lot of it was taken on very different devices than what we currently have now. But anyway, so back at the time there was like no easy way to just say, hey, I took this video and I want you to see it. And mm-hmm. and that was kind of, that thing that I just described of the dinner party with people with probably their, like, I, I wish I knew the name of a camera, but, like, I'm just, and I wish we could show it, but it's, like, you know those cameras from, like, 2005 that were, like, the kind that were roughly the size of a regular camera, but just, they took right. digital. Anyway. Yeah. Um, like, like, all that was a thing. Uh, the web was a thing. Most people had a computer like in their living room or whatever. Um, and so all the sort of prerequisite steps were there. But there's just this final step of how do I get it from point A to point B, uh, mm-hmm. which was still really hard. And I remember it was funny because like, I, I just remembered like the main way that uh, you know, my family used to like watch videos that we took was you would plug in your TV in the living room, like, directly to the camera. Do you remember Into the that? camera, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone would just sit around. It was like, you'd, like, go through the videos and stuff. Um, anyway, so yeah. it's, like, it's, it's become a very different thing. But, but the point is there's not an easy way to, to get these things uh, across over the Internet. And so that's the story. There's another story <laughs> of how it started. Um, that's that they wanted to start a dating site. Um, and what? that there's some there's some theory that that perhaps the dinner party thing was like um, somewhat contrived to be a little bit like easier of a founding story, like they, a better a better founding story, a better founding story, because they kind of pivoted away from it a little bit. Uh, okay, what's the there's no theory? question that at one point in YouTube's history it was a dating site. I'll put it that way, but there is okay. some question about whether it was just like we want to start this video site and we were trying to think up a way to get people to upload videos. So like, what's right. a use case? Oh, like, like, what's the first use case? You could upload. Yeah. The founders were really impressed by, um, I don't know if you remember this website, Hot or Not. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I do. Yeah. They really were really impressed by it because uh, the content back in the day, it's like uh, a website meant like the person who created the website created the content. But Hot or Not was like a platform. It was like the first platform with like user-generated content. Um and so wow. they were, <laughs> it was not necessarily the first one, but it was like, that was something that impressed yeah. them about it. And they thought like, wow, because of this motivation of like dating or attractiveness or whatever, um, you can get a lot of people to upload content. Uh, so let's like, maybe we'll angle it around that. So it was, I think, I don't remember if it was this, it's unclear. I won't say I don't remember. It, it was unclear in the research mm-hmm. if it was a slogan or an alternate name, but at some point it was like tune in. With like the, the it was like tune in hookup or whatever it was what they, what oh, they wow. called it, yeah. Um, but it was uh, 
that was not long for this world because a lot of their, and they even, when they launched, so this is January of 2005 when they sort of first had the idea. Um, they started developing the website February of 2005. At the end of April um, is when they had sort of the first version up and running, and this is when it was like a dating site. Um, and so was it just like, like hot or not, but with videos? Yeah, basically. You had a profile wow, okay. and you uploaded videos of yourself. Okay. And that's why, have you ever seen the first YouTube video? No, I haven't. Okay, this is Nathan. Uh, I'm dubbing this in later. Um, so this is going to be the audio from the first YouTube video. And basically to set the scene, it's one of the co-founders just at the zoo standing in front of elephants. Uh, and you can hear there's like background noise, there's kids and stuff. It's just a very strange uh, short video clip. Um, so let's roll the tape. All right, so here we are in front of the uh, elephants. The cool thing about these guys is that, is that they have really, really, really long um, fronts, and that's, that's cool. And that's pretty much all there is to say. You, in order to properly understand that video, you, I think you need to understand it as it was his dating profile video. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, so, um, so anyway, so to... To generate interest, it was not going so well at first. To generate interest, um, they tried to uh, post on Craigslist offering attractive women $20 to upload videos of themselves, and that did not work. No one took them up on it. It was really bad. Why. It was a very sad original. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, right. any delusions of grandeur that, that founders have, you know, in the early days, like, you know, it's good to know, like, as, as um, you know, as hard as things may seem for Hardbound, at least we're not you know, offering people on Craigslist $20. <laughs> it's funny. It's like, but, it, so, you know, it's scrappy. You got to do what you got to do. So uh, just to put this in perspective, um, you said the founder's name is Steve Chen, right? Yeah. Um, so Steve, Steve Chen and um, Chad Hurley. Okay. But so Jawed Kim is the third one who left after the first, like, couple years. He leaves PayPal. Actually, I think he left before the acquisition. So the main one is, okay. is Chad Hurley was the CEO, and then Steve Chin was CEO or CTO. Okay. Um, basically, I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine like uh, leaving a company like PayPal, being early at Facebook, and leaving, and then like within a few months, you're posting on Craigslist asking women to upload dating videos of themselves onto this weird new site you've created. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it was like a rock bottom moment. I think it was probably more right, like right, right. a this would be kind of funny, like maybe it'll work moment, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, maybe they were pretty upset about it or maybe they were, you know, really concerned about, I mean, I'm sure they were concerned. There was actually, Possibly. there's another interesting story of the early days where at a certain point, before they had decided to officially like, you know, not just be a dating site, but just be like a more general video hosting service, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. <laughs> they, one of the, one of the founders, Jawed Kim, um, who was the third one who ended up leaving before they got acquired, um, was just like, you know what, screw it. It's better to have some video than no video. So he, like, found on the internet all these video clips of, like, 747 jets just, like, taking off and landing, just, like, watching paint dry, basically. <laughs> just, like, any random video he'd get a hold of and just, like, put them on the site. And so it was, like, very non-coherent kind of early um, smorgasbord of stuff. Um, and so, okay, so yeah. <laughs> How did they go, like, like what, what, uh, what sparked whatever the first traction they got was? Like, like how did they go from this to, to yeah. becoming uh, somewhat successful? So, so one of the big things they did is they made it so where you could embed YouTube videos on other websites. And um, from the very early days until their acquisition by Google, and even a year after the acquisition by Google in, a, in an article in Time Magazine in 2007, um, their biggest source of traffic was MySpace. So people were embedding these like flash, you know, widgets in their MySpace profiles or other places, but the uh -huh. biggest source was MySpace um, of videos of whatever. And basically, what happened is uh, in June they ditched the, uh, June of two thousand five. They ditched the dating angle because uh, you know a lot of users were of their like you know maybe a hundred or a couple users like friends and stuff like that. Um, they just wanted to upload like random videos, like kind of. 
you could say it was the original vision if that's like if you count the dinner party as like really happening, right. which is sort of questionable whether it was that clean or not of how mm-hmm. how it originated. But it's clear that by June, um, you know, they they had already had users, maybe including their third co-founder, <laughs> uploading videos that were not dating videos, like uh, 747 jets taking off and landing, um, and um, you know they they just realized like this dating thing is not working. Um, we did solve a problem around just making it easy to get video on the internet, and especially through being able to embed it through that Flash widget. Um, it made it even easier, because you, you could take out the step of like having to click a link. It's like, all of a sudden, you can have a video right. on any web page you want, and it's like predictable and reliable. Um, and so it spread, because um, it really did have this sort of classic viral loop where at the core of the loop was an action that you could take that was the easiest way to do it, which is if you want, if you have a video and you want someone to see it, the easiest way to do it was YouTube, by far. Mm-hmm. And so that core product innovation paired with the fact that the action that you wanted to do is, the, the, the first part of the statement I just said is if you had a video and you want someone to see it. So already there's the intent for other people to see what you're making, right? And like probably more than one person. Um, so it really did spread virally, where you would upload a video to YouTube, you would embed it in your MySpace, you would share the link with friends, um, and it would go from there. And it wasn't just content like um, like people people's own home videos and stuff like that. This is this is one mm-hmm. of the biggest differentiators. An interesting thing is um, Vimeo actually was started uh, several months before YouTube. Oh wow! I didn't know it was first. Yeah. Vimeo, Vimeo was started in like basically winter of 2004. Um, so the end and of was 2004. The, was, were the technological capabilities similar at that point early on? Um, well, probably at some point they were better, right? YouTube probably surpassed them at some point. Um, even mm-hmm. though Vimeo for, for a while like uh, was the only way to upload HD video, right? Vimeo. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. YouTube didn't allow up HD until way after Vimeo. Um, and Vimeo okay. still, I think, leads the way. Like, I'm not sure if they actually still do, but for a while, like until like, you know, 2013-ish maybe, um, right. it was the only place to upload like super high quality stuff. Um, yeah, I do remember them having that reputation. Um, yeah. And you'd see like lots of documentaries and like feature type stuff being, being uh, published there. Exactly. And it's really interesting to think about like why, you know, like, why did Vimeo not take off in the same way that YouTube did? Because right. um, another interesting thing about Vimeo is like, you know, these these YouTube guys, they were just like technical people in Silicon Valley who like had worked for startups before and like could, you know, kind of understood what it took to like make a website, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Vimeo was a side project for uh, people from collegehumor.com. And so it was like, oh. that was like a huge site of video. Like that was like yeah, way professional. I remember that. Yeah, that was like way professional compared to, um, you know, what what YouTube was doing. Um, they had a huge audience, right? Um, uh-huh. And um, there, was, there was like uh, probably a, a big biz- business behind it already. Um, but there are, there are a lot of crucial early things about Vimeo uh, that ended up just basically really limiting it. And this is getting back to the thing I, I kind of, transition to this sort of like why not Vimeo topic on, which was that there was lots of types of content on YouTube. So Vimeo, Uh um, from the beginning, because they were this bigger company and because, you know, collegehumor.com had like this whole sort of professional apparatus around it by this point, um, they were really worried about legal problems like copyright infringements, um, getting sued by content owners. Mm. Um, and, And so they took all these measures to sort of prevent people from uploading, uh, uploading videos that, that might be an infringement of copyright. So um, they limited the size of file uploads for a long time. So you couldn't, um, you couldn't upload something, I think that was maybe more than 10 minutes long. I, I couldn't figure out exactly what it was, but there was some sort of size requirement that, uh, you know, it would make it a lot harder to upload like a full 30-minute like, TV show or a movie or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Another thing was... Um, in their community guidelines, you're only supposed to upload videos that you created yourself. And it's like the idea of Vimeo was uh, filmmakers, right? Um, so right. even if it's amateur filmmakers, it's still like you're making um, – like there's a really big difference between a clip of a thing, you know, <laughs> and like right. a, a film that you make. And so like v- YouTube was like, you know, 
whatever. They're sort of like the Walmart of video. Like everything is there. Um, Vimeo like mm -hmm. was trying to have this like way more defined kind of community, and like frankly, they still do. There's a lot of people who um, are into Vimeo and like prefer to upload their videos to Vimeo because they consider themselves like into film. And right. uh, there's a certain type of community that's definitely sort of gathered there. Um, feels a little bit higher so, brow than than YouTube did, but but YouTube ultimately because of the sort of junk drawer approach to like anything goes, like you can upload whatever video right. you want. Um, it, it ended up being able to build a really pretty great community off of just the fact that they had that scale. But yeah, go ahead. So, so would it be accurate to say that, that early on, uh, if you just had like uh, something like a home video, you know, a video you took of your, your baby taking its first steps that you wanted to share with your parents, would the perception have been, oh, like, I won't use Vimeo. Like, that's, that's not what that's for. I think so. To the extent that you even knew about Vimeo. Right, right, right. Uh, like you, uh, yeah. I think that they didn't, yeah, I think that it probably would have fit their community guidelines, but it was like, yeah. That's not what it exists for, yeah. Okay. Exactly. It's like they, so, had a, they had a specific idea of a kind of thing. Which right. is, it's funny, because if you think about it, um... You know, I, I actually, this is, this is making me think about Hardbound a little bit, because I think we are kind of more like Vimeo right now. Obviously, mm -hmm. you can't even upload stuff to Hardbound yet, um, and you can't, you can't create Hardbound stories, but, um, and that may not always be a bad thing. Maybe we're actually more like collegehumor.com or something, but the point is, uh, video, YouTube's, <laughs> YouTube's, I mean, I don't think like in the form of content, but just like- <laughs> Not from the, a content standpoint, yeah. The fact that they yeah. are, it's like, a, it's like they made content. Um, yes. And Vimeo was sort of in the middle, and YouTube was on one extreme, and College Humor was sort of on the other. But anyway, um, yeah, the fact that YouTube was kind of a free-for-all is, like, really, I think, a huge part of, um, of its success is, is what, uh, at least from, from all the stuff I've read, is, like, was a big part of it. So, so how, do, how do you go from being this place that has this really uh, functional application of, uh, I have this digital video... Um, I, I want people to be able to see it or like I have this MySpace page. I want to, you know, embed this, this video clip on it. How did, how did they go from that to becoming this place where people where there was a community of creators saying like, I publish on YouTube, like I, I make videos and I publish them here and people like follow me. Um, and I have this audience. Um, yeah. what, what was the timeline of that? Like how did, how did it transition into nurturing that community and and did they like at what point as a company sorry i'm asking a lot of questions right here I'm loving um, it. At what, what point as a company did they start thinking like hey we could have a community here because it doesn't sound like um other than the dating aspect it doesn't sound like from day one um that that they necessarily foresaw having like a, a community of creators um i don't know if that's fair maybe i maybe i didn't uh do a good enough job explaining the early days of it, but I think they're really, like, just even looking on, like, the Wayback Machine and, like, screenshots and stuff, early days of YouTube, like, you, you always had a profile, and there was always a subscribe oh, button. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't, okay. like, um, I don't know, Imager or something, you know, where it's right, just, right, like, right. a real utility, where it's, like, or, like, you know, mega okay. upload or something like that. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that. Like, it's, like, you create an account, and you can upload videos to your account, and they show up on your profile, and people can subscribe to your profile. Okay, so so maybe there was a, there probably was an intent to have a community. I mean, it might have been more it. of a. Um, I think it was a cross sort of between like the dating thing and this, like early on. It's hard. Right. It's hard to say because I think a lot of the earlier stuff, when it really was more purely dating set, there really aren't that many screenshots that remain, and so it's it's hard to say like, you know, what they added in those first. We're talking like a span of time between, like April and July. And things can change uh -huh. a lot for, you know, a startup. Like, it's really easy to kind of ch make big changes in the really early days of, uh, sure. of software like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think they had some idea that it was, like, a social product early on. And, I mean, this was, like, they were getting their traffic from MySpace. They look, if you look at the early um, sort of, like, design of YouTube, it really does look very influenced by MySpace, um, to, Interesting. to me at least. So they had some uh -huh. idea of what it meant to be a social site. Okay. Okay. So, and so I think it was more like, I think it was more like just people though, like upload. Sure. I don't, I don't know how much they had a vision of like crash course, you know? Right. Right. So, um, 
Okay, but but then how how did that community come about though? Like, well, like what are did they actively do things? Um, you think to nurture that early on, um, or or was it just kind of an organic thing that happened? I think it was a pretty organic thing that happened. I mean, I think they did some things to nurture it, but it wasn't like constructed. I think it was sort of a side effect of the fact that um, you had a place that uh, was really growing. And a lot of it was because of this just utility of like, if you want, if you have a video, and and you want to upload it somewhere, whether maybe you just ripped it off of some DVD that you have or like whatever, you know, mm-hmm. or you actually took it yourself on your own video camera. But the point is like, it was the easiest place to put it, and they weren't pretentious about what kind of stuff belongs here. It's like anything goes, right? <laughs> as long as it's not porn, essentially. It was like their only right. restriction. Um, and and yes, like technically it can't be copyrighted, but like it wasn't they weren't doing a great job like checking for that back in the day. Um, and now they have an automated system that, that sort of can detect <laughs> if you're violating copyright. Uh, but that was, that was later on. Um, but anyway, and so I think there were just early people that were like uh, into the idea of, you know, potentially being on TV, maybe into the idea of blogging. This is when, like back in 2005, blogging was like, a huge thing. So the idea of expressing yourself online was like already there and it just seemed a natural right. extension. Also 2005 podcasts, that was that was like a big that was a big moment like the, f- uh, the first the first podcasting wave. Yeah, exactly. That's when Apple added podcasts to their mm-hmm. uh thing. So this is like in the middle of a moment when self-publishing on the internet was like becoming more sort of multimedia. Like the whole idea of web 2.0 like really comes out of, you know, MySpace, YouTube, like those kind of sites, um, and so kind of for the first time, it was becoming easy to publish more than text online. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think that I think that there were just like sort of a group of people, like some in Silicon Valley, some other places all over the world, that were just um, saw this as an opportunity to um, maybe build some kind of audience, maybe meet people, maybe develop some skill that they have or, or learn from other people that are publishing their own things. Um, and so there are some just early sort of pioneers of it. And it's funny because if you look at a lot of them, like they're still around uh, in some form or another uh, doing it today. And obviously not all of them are, and there's some survivorship bias when you look back. But like, um, mm-hmm. like the guy who runs BuzzFeed motion pictures, oh, actually now he runs BuzzFeed Entertainment because they reorganized recently to be news and entertainment, but before when it was like video and um, uh, was like a separate dimension, I guess, from the company. Right. Um, his name is Z Frank. Uh, he was like a really early YouTuber that uploaded, I think he had a show or something. I, I didn't do as much research on Z Frank, but I know he, he uploaded a lot of YouTube videos. He was like a, he was a vlogger, basically. He had like his own kind of show. I even think he was uploading video, honestly, before YouTube. It's worth maybe look, it's worth maybe looking up really quick, but like yeah, he's um, there. There are a lot of people like that who are just like early on. Like, or do you remember like Lonely Girl, fifteen or whatever? I don't remember Lonely Girl. Oh man, it was like this whole phenomenon where uh, she was basically like a like a vlogger, like a video logger, which that you know, back in the day, that was like already a term. Um, mm-hmm. And it ran from June two thousand six to August two thousand eight. And uh, it was presented as if it was, like, a, just a real teenage girl named Brie who was just vlogging about her life and all this kind of stuff. But then, like, uh-huh. uh, there was this weird, like, multi-character, like, complex story with, like, this evil organization called The Order. And it was, like, revealed that it was just, like, some thing run by some media company. <laughs> and it was sort of a hoax. <laughs> okay. um, uh-huh. Who who was behind it? Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to see who was behind it. But yeah, it was this whole sort of crazy. I don't know. There's some company called Equal that was. I don't know what who 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 this belonged to. But yeah, it was like a it was like an actual funded thing, and like she was an actress. But still, oh, yeah, video blogging that was like a that was a huge thing, and so that was sort of the early, um, the early the early sort of history of it. Um, but yeah. There's so there's a lot of people that were just already doing stuff like that because um, they were they were definitely the leading edge. They were weird, but um, 
you know, it was the internet. There was always people kind of hanging out and meeting each other on the internet and right. like uploading stuff of themselves. Did did there come a point in time where? Well, I'm sure there obviously came a point in time, but uh, when some of these first creators were starting to gain audi- audiences and stuff, um, was was YouTube like reaching out and and you know asking them to come do it on their platform, or were they were most of them just kind of discovering? Oh man, it's way easier to do it this way, um, and like people can subscribe and. What, I'm guessing it was probably like a combination of both of those. I don't think that early on YouTube was doing a ton of like active recruiting of people uh-huh. or paying people uh-huh. or anything like that. Um, frankly, I don't think there was a ton of competition. And also, because there was, there was obviously there was Vimeo, but um, I think, oh, another big, really important thing about Vimeo that I forgot to mention earlier is like it was always a side project for collegehumor.com for like a long time. So I, I found this really great quote that was, uh, YouTube had raised 11.5 million in two rounds of funding from Sequoia and was acquired before Vimeo ever had a budget or a staff to full-time employees. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, so like yeah. YouTube was just like focused basically. Like I'm sure in the early days of Vimeo, there are a lot of things about it that probably were like slightly broken and right. YouTube was probably just like cranking out features. And technically that's one of the interesting things about YouTube is like, you know, there are some companies with a history of like their tech kind of sucks or their design kind of sucks or whatever, but it's like YouTube has always like had a really good reputation for being fast. And that's with video, right. like bandwidth is a hugely important thing. And so YouTube has done stuff to like compress videos or like innovate on serving you different versions of a video depending on your connection speed all that kind of stuff very cool um is is vimeo still at all affiliated with collegehumor.com uh yeah i think so i can double check but um i don't think they ever were so So college humor is owned by iac and i think vimeo is also owned by iac uh because of that let's see yeah yeah, it's a subsidiary of IAC. So IAC is a company based in New York, Interactive Corp, um, <laughs> that has a crazy headquarters building that's like not too far away from BetaWorks. It looks pretty cool. Um, oh, cool! I pictured like um, uh, Conglomo Corp from Rocco's Modern Life. His neighbor worked at Conglomo Corp. <laughs> Conglomo um, Corp. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's basically yeah, it's a media conglomerate. Um, so they have yeah. a lot of. They have a lot of stuff that they've bought and sold. Um, you know, they their businesses now, they have a lot of dating sites, uh, which is kind of funny given the YouTube history of the dating yeah. site connection. But, <laughs> like, is. Tinder is technically part of it. Plenty of Fish, OkCupid, Match.com. Uh, yeah, a lot of them. Oh, apparently, uh, the, oh, yeah, the, recently they bought the Princeton Review. Um, but, yeah, huh. they have College Humor, Daily Burn, Vimeo in the sort of the video space. They have about.com, ask.com, Daily Beast. Um, but yeah, the guy the guy who sort of runs it, his name is uh, Barry Diller. So he's a very like, he's like a 74-year-old like, you know, business magnate essentially. Um, who, uh, he, he's just like a media guy that has been involved in like right. USA Broadcasting and Fox. Okay. So, Yeah. And then Interactive Corp was, like, I think his thing for the internet, essentially. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so that's the Vimeo, um, that's so the Vimeo kind of... That's, that's Vimeo. Uh, at, at what point were, were YouTube... Like, early on, I'm, I'm guessing the, the people, the most popular people on YouTube weren't making a living from it, necessarily. Uh, no. Do you know when they, when they started, like rolling things out to help people make money? Yeah, so in 2007, they rolled out the partner program, which basically it's like, it was really, really innovative, and it's still, frankly, innovative, um, that if you have, a, you're, you have a user account, you have a channel, you have videos, people are watching your videos, great. Um, there's a switch you can flip where you can turn on ads, and you get a portion of those ads, and it changes depending on, um, it's changed over time, and it's changed depending on um, what sort of level of account you are. Like, mm-hmm. if you're a really premium YouTube channel, you can get access to, like, basically better-paying ads because it's, like, a premium brand. This kind of goes back to... It's interesting, just, like, one of these um, fundamental forces in media is, like, uh, there's... 
you almost get better rates as you get bigger, depending on the kind of big you get. Like, explain what do you mean by kind the kind of big you get? If you get really big because of like really bottom of the barrel clickbait crap, like your ad rates are not going to go that much up as you get bigger. You'll obviously make more money because right. more people will be seeing your stuff, but the amount of money you make per person that sees your stuff is not going to really increase. But this sort of connects to our episode on Vox where like their whole strategy is to be premium media brands so that they can extract right. premium prices because, um, you know, it's like there's a big difference between buy, taking out a full page ad in like the Wall Street Journal print edition in the 90s and, you know, being in like a phone book and like maybe of more course. people <laughs> will see the phone book ad potentially, but like. Right. The fact that you're in the Wall Street Journal signals something. So, right. Um, certain YouTube channels also have that signaling uh, with their brand, and and that's that's the thing that Vox Media wants to do is create these media brands like Vox.com and Verge and Eater that that means something very specific that uh, brands are willing to pay a premium to be associated with. Um, so so it's it's just interesting like fundamental kind of advertising phenomenon that links a couple different episodes that we've done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So does, does the partnership program kind of figure out how valuable you are to advertisers over time? I, there's no like algorithm or anything like that. I think it's just like, okay. there's a premium tier that you can sort of, once you get okay. noticed, you can be invited to, or like you could, okay. if you know a guy who knows a guy, you can, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Right. 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 Um, but yeah. So, so it's interesting because uh, when YouTube started doing this, because by the time YouTube was acquired by Google, or maybe a year or two after, um, Eric Schmidt's... What year was that, by the way? Uh, that was... Oh, and this is the craziest thing. So, let's, so they started developing the site in February 2005. They had a first working version at the end of April of 2005. It was this crappy dating site, <laughs> basically, where they were spamming uh-huh. you know, women on Craigslist uh, to... <laughs> upload videos of themselves for $20. And, uh, you know, by June, they had ditched the dating angle, June of 2005. Um, and it started to spread virally. Um, in November of that year, they raised a really good amount of money. And then in November of the next year, November 2006, they were bought by Google for $1.65 billion. Wow, I didn't know it was that early. It was super fast. I was fast. thinking it was, yeah. So I was thinking it happened later than that. It was basically like, what happened with Instagram, which is something of more recent history, but like right, even right. crazier because Instagram was a billion and it had been around for a bit longer, I think, independently than mm-hmm. YouTube had been. But it was certainly like, it was like the definition of, of like a rocket ship. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, and Sequoia, so, I think, was the big winner in terms of like venture capitalists on, on the back end who kind of financed all that and made, made a so lot of money. So they did like that, that early round and, and... Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like, I guess to sort of recap the things that made them successful, it sounds to me like early on, uh, they had the, the best technology, um, and they continued to innovate in that department, uh, and make it really easy. They didn't have a lot of restrictions on what you could upload. Uh, and you know, then once they started experiencing that viral, viral gro- uh, growth, they came up with great ways to support the people uh, creating on their platform, right. which, you know, in turn makes creators stay there and it makes the best ones continue to create really good stuff that, um, you know, brings an audience. Right. Exactly. And, and in that later part of like helping creators make money, YouTube is still, uh-huh. I think really far ahead of the curve of, of anyone else. Um, what, what's, do you, do you have like a pulse at all on what their relationship is like with creators? Like how, how happy creators are like, or maybe some of the gripes that they have or anything like that? Um, I mean, I think overall it's really good. Um, but I do, there was recently a sort of controversy, uh, called YouTube demonetization where, uh, uh the, the scare, the thing that it seemed like was happening was all of a sudden YouTube was like turning off monetization for all these accounts. They were just sending out these notices that we've demonetized like all these videos from your channel or whatever, um, which basically means we've turned off ads because brands don't want to be associated with you. And they just were doing it all over the place. Now, Ouch. what 
had actually happened was that they had already been doing this for a really long time, but they just hadn't sent uh-huh. out notification emails, and now they started sending out notification emails. Um, and now they have an appeals process, and a lot of creators okay. are actually getting monetization turned back on for their stuff, even though it had been off already for maybe a couple of years. So um, it was it was kind of a funny thing where, like, actually the it was a surprise that some bad stuff had happened, but the impact had already been felt for a couple of years. And right. what had act, what was actually news was that um, now you're being told about it, and you have an option to. Like and you could tell Appeal. if you like really dug into your stats and like saw your views and your ad revenue and like maybe would guess that it didn't add up or whatever, but you know, um, but most people I don't think figured it out or maybe some people did, but they just it didn't become a news story. But this, <laughs> the recent demonetization thing became more of a news story. Um, so there's stuff like that, gotcha. you know, and um, I think uh, there's there's different organizations like so the people who make Crash Course. Um, one of the guys, Hank Green, uh, has started this thing called the Internet Creators Guild. And it's basically organizing people who make money through YouTube. And it's not just YouTube. Obviously, the name reflects a higher ambition. But for the most part, mm-hmm. it's YouTubers who make some portion of their income from it. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's a big part of it. Sites like Patreon. Um, YouTube apparently also has its own sort of Patreon-like functionality. Um, oh, really? But yeah, basically that enable people to uh, support channels that they really love with uh, monthly donations. Essentially, um, that's a big part. A of lot what, of a lot of a lot of YouTubers kind of supplement their exactly. ad revenue with with things like Patreon. Okay, because ad revenue is just so dependent upon like what goes viral in a lot of cases, and that's it's right. so spiky and unpredictable. Um, it's way better to get a core base of people who really enjoy what you make on a, like just a weekly or daily basis and want to support that as opposed to like, yeah. Yeah. Re- well, and then as a creator, you can kind of forecast your, your income at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what, um, what challenges do you think YouTube is going to have going forward from here? Uh, like, like what do you, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think they're going to have to continue doing to sustain and grow what they've built? Well, I mean, I think there's a bunch of different things. One is, like, video now is not hard to upload. Like, because of YouTube, um, I think it's become really easy. But now you sort of have some options. Um, You can just, like, text a video from your phone to your friend. Right, exactly. So, like, there's that. There's, like, there's just a lot of of stuff that's very different about the world um, than, than when YouTube first came out. And so I think YouTube is sort of pivoting into um, basically being the new cable. And, uh, like, it's more full of uh, premium entertainment. And it's, like, the kind of stuff that you wouldn't just text to your friend, you know? Right, Um, right. So... It's produced stuff. There's stuff like YouTube Red, which I really think... and, And YouTube is, like, financing shows from people to make, like, for YouTube, like... I think the biggest, or if not if not one of the biggest, is definitely the, if not the biggest, he's one of the biggest, um, is this guy who named Pew, PewDiePie. <laughs> PewDiePie, yeah. yeah. Um, and he does like video game right. stuff, right? Yeah, and and so he's like got a TV thing on YouTube, but you need to be a YouTube Red subscriber. So YouTube Red basically, I think, is going to be like Netflix, Spotify, that kind of thing. Right. So right. It's, a, it's a subscription, and you get access to a lot of premium content. There's no ads, that that whole kind of thing. Um, so I really think that like you know, things are converging where like YouTube is competing with Netflix and HBO Now and um, Spotify, Amazon Video, and yeah, and it's like any place that has video, and also YouTube is such a music destination. Also, sort of audio. That's true. Um, like is is kind of a competitor and um and and the technical advantage that YouTube had early on was basically the thing that got it to its current scale um mm-hmm. and its network and its community is like a really great place to upload video into because it is uh it has a better chance of being seen by more people and especially because it's integrated with Google showing up in search results higher um 
than just uploading a video on your own website somewhere off on an island on the internet. Um, right. But, um, you know, there are other places that are sort of emerging. So, like, I mean, one could imagine, uh, let's say Medium builds so where you can upload video, right? Like, that's going to have its own flavor of thing, and it might pick off certain types of creators that otherwise would, uh, would have been using YouTube. Um, the same way that there's some certain sure. types of videos that, that are mostly on Vimeo, right? Like the sort of indie filmmaker stuff. Um, right. And so I think more and more places like that could sort of peel off. Um, or you have like, uh, like Wistia, which is video for business. Right, exactly. Because, uh, you know, businesses have different needs. Uh, they want different kinds of analytics. They, yeah, so it's like... Right. Exactly. So, like, I think, um, you know, if you, if you look at YouTube's history of, like, uh, it was hard to upload video and then it wasn't <laughs> essentially because of YouTube. Um, now they're mm-hmm. operating in a completely different world and their original competitive advantage that got them to where they are has pretty much literally evaporated and they're going based off of the strength of their network and their audience now. They're not, they don't have a core technical advantage or hedge. Um, whereas if you compare it with something like Facebook, um, it was never hard to put text on the internet. Um, Blogging right. existed, MySpace existed. What Facebook did is an aggregated trust and networked people according to their real offline relationships. And you have a profile with like your name and your face, and um, that that is their competitive advantage, and that's not going to go away. <laughs> uh, it's not dependent upon. It's it's a it's a network of trust, um, uh-huh. and so it's not going to. Uh, it's not dependent upon like oh it's hard to do X. And so now why? Like, Facebook can just buy X, essentially. And if, if you look, right. Facebook has built video, right? And it's really different from YouTube in the way that it's played out. Um, I think YouTube is more oriented towards um, evergreen content than Facebook, where you're just kind of, right. like, scrolling through stuff in your feed that's, like, sort of auto-playing at you, <laughs> whereas YouTube is, like, more like you seek it out. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting... So, yeah. I, I think YouTube, as much as I love it, uh, is probably, I mean, I think it's in a pretty good shape, but it's also like there's a lot, there's a lot for them to be um, worried about, concerned about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I totally. We we're listing off, uh, you know, competitors and things to be concerned about, and I totally forgot about Facebook. <laughs> that's definitely that's, that's definitely one of them. a huge one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I mean, if you look at, uh, I think also Snapchat, right? There's a lot of type yeah. of video that is on Snapchat now that wouldn't have existed before. But there's also some other subset of it that maybe it would have been on YouTube. But just the fact that Snapchat is eclipsing them, it's like the center of gravity of like the vast majority of video that gets created and shared is happening on Snapchat now. Um, well, yeah, and, and it's always just, you know, you're, you're, you're battling for attention when it comes to people consuming the content. Right. Um, but it's also each and, video and on it, Snapchat is worth so little compared to a YouTube video. Because a lot of YouTube's YouTube is almost like the library. It's like the archive of, like, right. stuff. Whereas Snapchat, like, all the video that's taken today won't matter in a week <laughs> on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all, but like ninety nine point. Unless you're saving, uh, saving to to memories. Right. Yeah. That well, that's a big reason yeah. why memories is so important for Snapchat. But even then, I think, um, I think there's always going to be a, a Snapchat sees themselves more as like um, communication you know, between people mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, right, right. than um, YouTube, which has, I think, always been pretty firmly in the world of media, even if it is indie, grassroots kind of media, like the Z Frank show kind of stuff, like we were talking about earlier, who's right. one of the first YouTube vloggers. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, I think uh, it's just different kinds of video. But, it, but it's interesting because a lot of that, like, if you think about friends having a dinner party and having trouble sharing videos with each other, like that use case, which was ostensibly the inspiration for YouTube. Like what would they do now? Like they're, they're Snapchatting it or Instagramming it. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I feel like we end a lot of these episodes by saying uh, something to the effect of, well, it's going to be interesting to watch what happens, but it's kind of uh, <laughs> It's going to be really that's, boring. That's how I feel. It's going to, you know, yeah. <laughs> nothing's going to, it's it going to will... like watching paint dry. <laughs> right. Or watching uh, uh, 747's take off. So what, like, um, what did, what did, what was most unexpected? 
um, about YouTube? I think, yeah, I, I guess um, I hadn't done a, a lot of thinking just around the context of when YouTube happened uh, and how essential that technology was uh, for video early on. Um, so, so that was interesting. Uh, I, I still, the, the college humor and Vimeo connection is still like, just did not see that coming. Um, yeah. because I think of like, I think of like highbrow video content, uh, being associated with Vimeo. Um, and I don't have memory memories of, of highbrow stuff on college humor, maybe like well-produced stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and just thinking about the, the difference in the environment in which YouTube, uh, became a huge success and a huge phenomenon and uh, thinking about the environment environment in which it exists now and the like you were saying like the the what made it so valuable early on um sort of the the utility um is kind of totally gone so yeah i just think it's going to be really interesting um to see if if they can uh you know sustain their level of success in uh, an environment that's completely changed and kind of rendered their initial advantage, uh, you know, powerless. Right. Right. Cause it's like, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to just be like a sort of Hulu. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that's not, that's not the goal. Um, or a Netflix or whatever. Uh, but I think that's sort of increasingly who they're competing with. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and I also just think it'll, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about like how, um, how Google will value them, um, as a part of their company. Uh, and I'd be interested to know kind of like how, what they, what they see when they look at YouTube. Yeah. Um, cause there's cert- certainly an interesting search component to it as well. People, um, a lot of times refer to YouTube as the second most popular search engine. So yeah. now there's just all these, all these really kind of interesting, um, threads, uh, between YouTube and how society functions. Uh, and I mean, it's just become such a part of everyday life. So it's, it's going to be interesting, uh, as, as we like to say, it'll be interesting to see what happens. There we go. All right. Well, I will, uh, same time next week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for enlightening me this week on YouTube. Yeah. Next week I get to be enlightened by you. <laughs> yes. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye.